Welcome to LaGrave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast. We continue our short sermon series, Ever Wonder What Happens After We Die? Is Heaven Perfect? What else will happen in heaven? You're listening to Perplexing Texts, What Happens When We Die? by Rev. Peter Yonker. Our Bible passage today is uh, from second letter of Paul to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5, verses 1 through 10. Um, this is the second of a text in our series on perplexing texts, and I'm going to admit up front that this is not so much a perplexing text as a perplexing topic. And the topic of today is what happens to us when we die, which is obviously something that, that we, we care a lot about. And it if you remember, the, the, the texts for this sermon series were generated from you. We sent out an opportunity and people were able to send in Bible passages that confused them. And quite a number of you sent in texts that have to do with that passage from death into the hereafter. And this one was selected more than once, I think two times. So that's going to be our passage today. Listen now as I read these words from the Apostle Paul. For we know that if the earthly tent that we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. Because when we are clothed, we won't be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan, and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, but clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who's given us the Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Therefore, we're always confident And we know that so long as we're at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we live by faith and not by sight. We're confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we're at home in the body or away from it, for we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. This is the word of the Lord. For we know, says Paul, that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. So Paul uses that imagery of tents and eternal houses. And I was reflecting on that this week, and that got me thinking about home renovation. House renovation, something that we all know about. And I was thinking, those of you who own your own home and maybe you've lived in that home for, say, at least 10 years, I I wonder if you reflect back, how much home renovation have you done over those last 10 years? Um, Just two weeks ago, I was in our bedroom and I was painting it. And as I was doing the painting, I was reflecting on, we've lived there about 12 years, and I thought to myself, My goodness, we have painted every single room in our house. Every single, and all the trim, upstairs and downstairs over those 12 years. We've done, we've done a lot of renovation. And that's just the painting. I I hadn't 
didn't even think about the, the, the carpets and the, and the furniture that we bought and the things that we moved around. We're always, like many of you, tweaking to get our home just right. I'm sure that as you reflect back on your house and think about what you've done over the last 10 years, you've probably done an awful lot. We Americans love home renovation. We love messing with our houses. We have entire cable channels dedicated to it. We're willing to spend lots of money and put up with lots of inconvenience to get our houses just right. Why is that? Why do we love renovation so much? Well, we love our homes because our homes are important to us. We, we renovate our homes so they will be more homey. Our homes are refuges. When we're out there in the busy world doing whatever it is we do and getting stressed out, we want to come home and feel like we're entering into this place where we feel comfortable. We want to enter into our rest. And that's why we, we're always tweaking and always renovating. And yet, despite our homes being the places where we often feel most at rest, there's always something missing. That's why we keep renovating. Even when we think we've got it just right, we're there and we think, no, it could be even better, and we keep pushing forward. Even the most homey feeling that we have in our, with our families in our homes leaves our heart wanting more. We find ourselves thinking, no, this is not quite it. I'm still looking for a deeper rest. Paul knows where that comes from. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. I suggest to you that our love and our zeal for home renovation is ultimately a sign of eternity in our hearts. There's nothing wrong with home renovation, but it's ultimately pointing to the fact that our homes, our earthly homes, can never be enough because we are only completely satisfied with our heavenly dwelling. In Paul's way of describing it, even the best of our lives is like tent camping. Even the best of our lives is like tent camping along the trail, walking along a long trail and lugging our tents on our back. And Paul would know something about that, right? Because he was a tent maker, and Paul did some traveling. So even the best of our lives is traveling down this trail, lugging this heavy tent, and wishing we were home, wishing our journey was done, wishing that we could be at rest. We're tired of the conflict. We're tired of the tears. We're tired of the worries. We're tired of the loss. We want to be home. And this is one of the fundamental tensions of our life. We have this deep desire to be at home with the Lord and a deep fear of death. Right? We don't want to die. We're all avoiding that. We're all working to avoid that. And yet, the only way there is through here. And so Paul comes along beside us, fellow traveler on the trail. He says, don't be afraid. You will be home. And that death you so much fear is not an end. When you are swallowed by death, you are not swallowed up in darkness. As Paul says specifically in our passage, you are swallowed up in life. You shall be home. What will that home look like? 
And what will it feel like to make the journey from this tent existence to that eternal home existence that Paul describes? That's what we'll think about together in the rest of this sermon. If you read Scripture, and we're going to be going all over Scripture to think about this, the very end of the journey is made relatively clear for us Christians. Where we will end up at the end, a fairly decent picture is painted in Scripture. We will be in the New Jerusalem, and it will be a physical place. When we think about heaven, when we think about our final destination, you shouldn't think about sort of this spiritual, airy-fairy realm. The, the thing that's promised in Scripture is something very physical. I believe in the resurrection of the body. We will have bodily existence in the new creation. That's something that we see in Philippians 3, verse 21. Paul says, God will transform our lowly bodies to be like his heavenly body. And he's talking about Jesus. And what he's saying is, if you want to have a sense of what our bodies will look like in the new creation, think of Jesus after his resurrection. After he was resurrected from the dead, Jesus has a body. And it was a glorious body. You could do things with his body that we can't do with ours, but it was still a physical body. Luke 24, he ate with that body. John 20, his disciples were able to touch the holes in his hands. It was a physical existence, a glorified physical existence. And what Paul does in our passage is he says that the difference between, it'll be physical, but it'll be different in the, set, in the same difference as a tent would be different from a home. We'll have a physical body, 1 Corinthians 15, but the difference will be the difference between a seed, that's what he compares it to in 1 Corinthians 15, and a full-grown tree. It'll be a physical existence, but physical existence fulfilled and made glorious. Not only will you have a body in the new creation, we will also be in a physical place. When you think of what heaven is like, don't think of clouds and rainbows. Think of a new creation. Think of this world only fulfilled and renewed. And that shouldn't see surprise you that this new creation vision is a physical vision because when God created this world, he made it good and he is sovereign and he's not going to surrender one square inch of sovereign territory to the devil. So when sin corrupted this world, God would not say, well, I guess I can save the human beings, but I'm going to have to let the creation go. No. God's intention from the beginning was to renew and save this world. That's why in the Old Testament laws, you don't just have laws about interpersonal relations. You have laws about taking care of the land and taking care of animals. God wants to redeem the whole creation. That's why when the prophets prophesied what it'll be like when God comes to his people, they talked about the desert bursting into bloom and springs coming up in the desert. God was going to renew the land. And that's why in Revelation 20 and 20, 21 and 22, that clearest picture of the new creation that we have in Scripture, what you see coming down from heaven is the new Jerusalem, this physical place. The New Jerusalem has gates, and it has streets, and it has a river that runs right through it. 
and it has trees on the side of the river, and there are people walking around, and there is culture. The kings of the earth bring their splendor. It will not be one long worship service. There will be all different kinds of music as well, not just organ music. Sorry, Larry. If you're a person who in this life has always wanted to learn to play the guitar and you never got around to it, that describes me. And now my fingers are too arthritic, right? I'll never learn. In the new creation, in that physical place, you'll have all kinds of time to learn to play the guitar and maybe the banjo too, and maybe you'll learn to harmonize, start a bluegrass band, perfectly acceptable. If oil painting is something you've always wanted to do, you can explore that. Maybe you wanted to surf. You'll still get a chance. There'll be science. There'll be traveling. We will still want to explore the things of God. We will still want to discover how things are put together. We'll want to understand the quantum universe and all these things. We will have this deep curiosity for the beautiful things of God. All our life will be about going deeper and deeper into the beauty of what God has made into the beauty of each other, and into the beauty of our God himself. And it will go on and on and on. And I feel I need to address this very important subject. Yes, there will be golf in heaven. Every time you bring up the subject of heaven, somebody wants that question answered. Yes, there will be golf, but that doesn't mean you will always hit it down the center. You will still shank your drive into the woods, only you won't be tempted to say a bad word after you do it. And I know that sounds like a trivial, silly point, but actually there's a very important point in that. Heaven is not going to be static. There's still going to be development. There's still going to be growth. There's still going to be learning. You're still going to have to work on things. You'll still have to discover things. It will be this endless process of joyful discovery that we'll go through together, and it will go on forever and ever. That's our end. That glorious physical picture of us joyfully enjoying God and all that he has made and each other as well. That's the house. This is the tent. Those things are relatively clear in Scripture. Where things get murky is the path from here to there. And if you've done any reading at all about end times, or if you look at what the Bible has to say about the end of everything, there's one issue in particular that stands out. Scripture is very clear that we don't get that physical resurrected body until the second coming of Jesus. 1 Corinthians 15, the trumpet will sound, then the dead will be raised imperishable. So it's when Jesus comes back and the trumpet sounds, then you get your body. Same thing in 1 Thessalonians 4. Christ comes down, the dead in Christ are raised first. The resurrection of the body happens at the second coming. Jesus himself says the same thing. John chapter 5, listen. The time is coming when all those who are in the grave will hear his voice and come out to be judged. So it's at the second coming and the last judgment that those who hear his voice come out of the grave. So we don't get our resurrection body until the second coming. But that raises the question, when we lay our loved ones in the ground, when we ourselves get put in the ground, where are we? 
Are we just in the ground? This question is complicated by the fact that other places in Scripture seem to say that as soon as we die, we're with the Lord. Thief on the cross, right? He's dying. Jesus says to him, today, you will be with me in paradise. Philippians 1, Paul says that himself. Philippians 1, Paul's in jail, worried about whether he's going to live or die. And he says, well, it would be better for me to die because when I die, I'd be with the Lord. Like right away, right? You remember that passage? And even in this text, you can hear that same sort of idea behind it. When we were away from the body, as soon as we die, we're at home with the Lord. How does that work? If we don't get our resurrection body until the second coming, how can we be at home with the Lord? What does it look like to be at home with the Lord without our body? Here's where Christians need to speak with deep humility because Scripture is not perfectly clear here. Some theologians have said, well, you know what, Luther is in this camp. When you die, uh, you have soul sleep. You're just in the ground and you're waiting and you don't remember anything and then at the last judgment you're raised. Calvin, though, has a different way of going and he does this because of passages like the thief on the cross. He talks about what we call the intermediate state. So when you die, your soul goes to be with Jesus and you are content with him and your spirit is with him and it's conscious, and you see his face, and it's joyful, but you're not fully embodied yet. You don't have your body yet. It's not until later that you get your body. So you're with the Lord, but you haven't reached the fullness of things. Now, that doesn't mean you're disappointed or sad. It means you have joyful expectation. Maybe like an engaged bride who joyfully awaits her wedding day. Sometimes, when someone we love dies, we say things that maybe don't quite fit with what our church teaches on this score. Sometimes maybe Uncle Bob dies, and maybe Uncle Bob was a big bowler, and we say, well, I can see Uncle Bob right now. He's up there on the heavenly lanes rolling strikes. And, and you know, humility, right? I, who knows? But that's not quite what we teach. That's something for the new creation. That's something for the very end. Here's what John Calvin himself says, and he was commenting on 2 Corinthians 5 when he said it. He said, eventually that heavenly house of our new body will be built, but I prefer to understand the blessed condition of the soul after death as the commencement of this building, of the heavenly house, and the glory of the final resurrection as the consummation of it. Is Calvin right? Only God knows. All that we do know for sure is that we will be with the Lord and it will be good. All this thinking about life after death and what scripture says reminds me of a story that my former mentor John Timmer told me when I started out in ministry. True story of when he was doing ministry out in New Jersey and he went to visit a man who was dying of cancer. He said the man's name was Jim. I don't think that was his real name. And Jim, he visited Jim three days before Jim died. Three days. And 
he went there and sat with Jim and his wife, and they were in their living room, and they were talking, and Jim was sort of reclined. And in the middle of that visit, Jim started to do this. He was nodding his head like he heard music. And then Jim said, oh, that music is so beautiful. And John and Jim's wife sort of looked at each other like, and Jim saw them do that, and Jim said, what, don't you hear the music? They said, no, we don't hear anything. Jim kept doing this. So finally his wife said, well, honey, what, what's the music about? And Jim said, how should I know? It's all in Latin. Everybody laughed. But Jim's laugh was deeper and more pure because for him that music was a sign. A sign that when he passed through this dark passage that he was about to meet, someone was waiting for him on the other side. Jesus was there and there was music and there was goodness and there was joy. When I think of that Latin music that Jim heard, I think that's a pretty good image for us as we try to figure out what the Bible tells us of what comes next. All the stuff scripture says about the hereafter, it's a little bit like this beautiful music in a language that we don't quite understand. But it's more than enough to know that Jesus is waiting and there will be joy. Thanks be to God. Lord God, it is good to sit together uh, for a moment and talk about something that weighs on all of our hearts and sit under the beautiful mystery that you present to us in your word, the beautiful hope that we have in you. Lord, we pray that this assurance that you hold us in the palm of your hand and that death cannot break that hold, may that make us bold in the face of the darkness, in the face of the trouble, in the face of our worry. May we go forward knowing that death is swallowed up in life. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast.